For over 37 years, TargetLeads.com has harnessed the power of direct mail and targeted lists to help you achieve your marketing goals. Whether you are a coach, an athletic director, an administrator, or you represent a nonprofit or a for-profit entity, direct mail with highly targeted lists continue to outperform social and email campaigns. If you are looking to reach prospective students or athletes, they have the lists. If you're looking to grow your business, they will find you your next customer. While we spend so much time online, the offline physical touch and feel of mail stands out, gets noticed, and generates response. Don't sleep on the power of mail. If you are recruiting, fundraising, or growing your customer base, mail should be a part of your marketing strategy, and TargetLeads.com is there to help you achieve your goals. Visit TargetLeads.com and please let them know that Coach Climo sent you. TargetLeads.com. Mail works. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Pop the truck. Welcome back to the Context Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by my friend, mentor, Germano Denise who is the math department chair at Stevenson School and one of our current football coaches, used to be the head football coach, 
basketball coach, baseball coach, jack of all trades. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the Contacts Podcast. Let's get this. So you have a unique situation. Before I dive into what I want to know, I want you to give the audience a little background about uh, how you got into coaching. Take us through your background. How did you land your first job and any subsequent jobs and uh, end up where you are now? Well, it started back in 1994, actually. I ran into a good friend of mine who was uh, my youth baseball coach. And at the particular point in time, he was looking for an assistant coach at Bishop Oldout High School. I actually got my teeth I cut my teeth baseball. So I coached at Bishop Oldout High School for two years as a varsity assistant coach. And it was during that time that I actually began coaching football. I think in the fall of 95, I actually worked with Coach Paul Paranon, who gave me an opportunity to coach football. And I was a substitute teacher, coach, baseball coach, bounced around and had the opportunity to move to Sacramento and I really got going in the coaching ranks spent five years at Jesuit high school working in their football and baseball programs and in 2001 I was able to come to Stevenson I worked as the head JV baseball and football coach in 2001 2002 and 2003 was my very first season as the varsity football coach and during my time here at Stevenson I've worked and the varsity football program, the varsity basketball program, and the varsity baseball program. So I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of good people. And my buddy, Ray Allen, was the one who actually gave me the start. Love it. Perfect background information for where I want to go with this. So to help ground the audience in regards to what you just shared, you became the head football coach in 2003. Before that, you had been an assistant in a variety of sports. What did you realize in that moment, as much coaching and mentorship that as you had been given, as you had earned throughout your time as an assistant, that you needed to figure out, that kind of caught you out of left field where it was like, what did I get myself into? What are some of the things that presented challenges that you would offer to others as, hey, when you move over 18 inches, you need to be ready for this? The first thing that I learned when I became a head coach at any level was coaching your coaches is equally as important as coaching your kids. So they're an extension of you. And there are moments in time to where I just didn't soak up enough information from my mentors in terms of what it was like to coach assistant coaches. And there were some growing pains early on in terms of I knew the X's and O's. I knew what to do. But there are moments in time to where my coaches needed to be coached and I just hadn't gotten enough experience of working with older people. Can you dive into some specifics of how you would manage that differently if put back in that seat today? Oh, in that particular case, I think you need to have a foundation and a groundwork, really team goals and guidelines that start with you and your coaching staff. I think many of us, these wonderful things, I know I spent a good deal of time reading about John Wooden and utilizing things like the pyramid of success. And so we all have these sayings and these things that we put up in the locker rooms, in our classrooms, but those are all related to our relationships with the head coach and let's say your team captains or your team, but really taking the time to have a retreat 
get together with your coaches and spend more than that 15 minutes post or pre-practice in the parking lot debriefing on what is going on. Really get to the nuts and bolts of what makes them tick as individuals and how they can use their knowledge and wisdom to to share it not amongst not only amongst the coaches but with the kids as well. So with that, as you actually stepped away from air quote coaching for a little while when you became the math department chair, obviously still involved with youth sports with your children and other things. And also as an observing coach, giving wisdom to the rest of us while you were retired, what was it like stepping back into sports and not necessarily being in the head head coach role and having to fill a role that was 18 inches back to the other way. What did you learn doing that? What are things that you were able to take away from that experience that served you in your most recent iteration of being the league coach this year? I really leaned on the head coach in terms of finding out what the little, the nitty gritty things and the things that needed to be done that you could take off the head coach's plate. So Simple things like getting meals ready, figuring out how to handle and manage the uniforms, just being someone who can accept a role lesser than what the head coach needs to do in that sense is we think about this from a delegation standpoint in terms of when you're the head coach and you can delegate responsibilities. I became a responsible receiver of delegation. So I think that's the best thing that I can say is if cones needed to be picked up, if you needed to do the dirty work, I appreciated it a lot more coming back into it to where I wasn't the one that had to pick the footballs up. I gladly take that on because I know just how much work the head coach has to do or we'll get some kids to I'll be able to offset that lead by example and help our kids do some of the things that the other people don't necessarily want to do and you know, help the head coach out. So knowing that, and you've touched on this a little bit, but I want to dive in a little bit deeper in regards to someone that is in your circle of trust gets put in a position where they are now the head coach of a program besides developing your coaches, because they might not be in a position to do that, right? They might be green at the same time and need to figure out that skill set. What would be a small list that's, hey, one, two, three, if you don't do these, you're going to be drowning the entire year? Yeah, I think you have to identify what you're good at. And, and then you also have to figure out what you're not good at. So I know my wife was talking to me about some training that they did at her job in terms of finding out what your superpowers are. So once you identify what your superpowers are, run with it. But if you identify weaknesses and you have people who can you know, whose superpowers are actually your weaknesses, give those things up. So if you are not extremely organized, but you work with someone who is organized and wants to do things, fully embrace it. So making out call sheets, taking role, doing other things, those are things that other people will gladly do if they're good at it. And then they'll let, they'll allow you to do the things that you are good at. An example of some things we've talked about is ordering uniforms or delegating responsibility if you are in a situation where, you know, oftentimes as a head coach, you don't get to coach as much because you're res you're responsible for so many other things. If you have an experienced coach on your staff who can handle those things and the ego is not driven by who gets the credit 
then you can really get some stuff done. So that's number one. Number two is setting boundaries for yourself with respect to your own work time, your own workflow and your family time. I know there are points in time during my career early on to where I just needed to get something done. I just need to finish this up. And the next thing, two to three hours have passed. So really managing your time well and understanding that. And then also- Don't get fired at home. Don't get fired at home for sure. And then I think you have to really pick the battles with your kids that you feel are important. So you and I have talked about philosophies about how you wear your stuff or what you wear or what you do. I think you come to a common ground to where there's nothing that when you come to practice, there's something that a kid is wearing or doing that's driving you nuts that you either squash the behavior or you accept it. You don't live in that gray area of trying to tell a kid that they need to untuck their jersey or they need to do something else all the time. I think those are the things that small things like that can really drive you bonkers and you pick your battles. And I think if it's important to winning, then I think you need to stress it. But if, you know, it's important to students and players feeling like they have some agency and it's something you discuss, I'm all for it. So let me ask you this question, which is more based on me knowing you personally and something you shared about delegation and learning how to do that. As somebody that has described themselves as a football coach who generally they tend to be micromanagers, how do you get yourself to that place where you can let go? What are the things that finally became aha moments where it's just finishing marginal utility to uh, quote our economics class in regards to realizing it's better to let go than to try to do everything? What was the trigger moment for you or the aha moment? And how do you offer that up to people that still aren't quite there? I think the best thing that you can work with and understand is just because you're the head coach doesn't mean you know everything and it doesn't mean you know it the best. So there can be other people on your staff who are really good at breaking down plays from a defensive perspective that can help you out. There are people who spend a lot of time with resources like YouTube, books, clinics that are really good at the things that they do. And oftentimes, because you are the head coach, you are the micromanager, you feel like the buck stops with you. And so you have to approve it. And then at a certain point, there are people who will come up to you and show something to you and go, oh, wow, I never thought about that. I have faith in you. You've shown me that you can do this. I need to give this to you. And then I think that's one of those things that it's just hard to relinquish sometimes. But once you can figure out who does what best, like I said, in that one thing, once you identify your, your superpower, then I think it's really cool. And then I was listening to something about the 1972 Miami Dolphins that said it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who receives the credit. So I, I really think about that in terms of working with people and understanding who does or doesn't get the credit. Bill Paraki taught me a lot when I worked with him in terms of always surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you. So clearly if that's an adage that you live by, then you can't walk in the room and think you're the smartest person. If that, then you're not living up to the deal that you made with yourself. Let's talk about that for a second, because the, what I was going to ask you had to do with accountability and 
having colleagues or people on your staff or people that aren't even part of your staff that watch and are around that help hold you accountable to what standard you've set or the truth tellers in your life. How does Bill's comment that surround yourself with people smarter than you, how does that play out in what you've learned over 30 years of coaching in regards to when you've been at your best and having people to bounce things off of? And that whole concept of if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, for sure. I think, I, I think that in my time off, I actually learned that there's just so many more resources available in the last two years, I've realized that if you look in the right place, you can find the right information. And if you call the right people, you can get the right information as well. Having a Rolodex full of numbers like you or really important or valuable numbers are things that are important to me. And I think that one of the things during my time off and then in my time spent as a department chair it's really important to understand the value of leadership and just how important it is to study that and to make sure you are putting the pieces in place to utilize the strengths. So that's where I get that information from in terms of working with a person like Bill, who was working with Dave Stivers at, the, at that point in time when we coached football together. It's just that group of individuals and then his ability to call a professional coach. I have this funny story. I ran into Ron Rivera the other day at Costco. And I remember Bill set up a clinic and he invited all the local coaches. So mind you, coaches from Pacific Grove, Palma, the surrounding areas. Bill hosted an event at his house and Ron Rivera spoke. And he spoke about leadership. He spoke about defensive game planning. And it was clear that he was still invested in his community, did some really good things for us. And just to be able to talk football with someone who has coached a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl team, although the Panthers didn't win. And then someone who actually played in the Super Bowl and someone who's from here and to see his reaction when he saw Dave Miller, who was his high school coach. That was it was just a real that wasn't available for most people and Bill made that happen because of his connections and his ability and desire to share. Yeah, no, that, that would be super cool to be able to get in a room like that. So I have a combo question here, which I'll frame with how has your approach to coaching changed over the time you've been doing this? But I also want you to wrap it up in the concept and give us a little background on, I was away from coaching for this many years this is what I learned during that time, which has shown up now as I approach being a coach and a leader. You mentioned the department chair piece, but there's some like, how has your approach changed over the course of your career? But how important was it to actually step away, not participate for a while? And now what does that look like coming back based on what you've learned and how you've shifted your perspective? Yeah, I think getting away from it was really important. I think I was so lucky that when I got involved in coaching that the first eight years of my career were spent in programs that were all about winning. So my philosophy was we had the best players. Guys were going to college on scholarships. On my time spent at O'Dowd and at Jesuit, I was lucky enough to either coach or teach multiple major league baseball players some kids who actually had 
Division one scholarships in football, a professional tennis player, you name it. It was a sports factory. So a lot of things in terms of my coaching style were based on developing kids to get to the next level, winning. And then all of a sudden I show back up here at Stevenson and I struggled the first few years because my philosophy and the school's mission weren't necessarily in perfect alignment. I remember kids coming up to me the first few years I was here saying, hey, coach, I need to leave. I have a radio show and how upset I would get because of the lack of planning or understanding on my part. But then I recognized that I went to school here. I had a radio show. So taking a step away from that and letting kids know that when you come back that you need to get the full Stevenson experience. It's not just you show up, you play sports, and you don't have a show. You don't participate in the play. I just have a much better understanding of what's going on with respect to our kids who go to school here. I also just have a greater respect for what everyone is doing in terms of looking at my colleagues in terms of what they do in coaching. I think I was very much siloed when I first got here and felt like the football coach was odds with trying to get players from other programs like the water polo program. And now it's, Hey, how do I go to a water polo practice? See what they do. Think about their team building exercise. I think about listening to your podcast with John Burke. And I think about Will Castrotano, who's a lacrosse coach and a soccer coach going to basketball practice. So those are the things that talking leadership, jumping on this podcast are things that I would have never done as a football coach back in let's say 2008 I'm all about just football coaches and that sort of lifestyle and grinding and doing that thing so stepping away was really good and also looking at it through a parent lens makes it a lot different all right we just opened up two avenues I want to give you an opportunity to briefly describe what you have learned as a multi-sport coach, as a multi-sport athlete, you brought up watching other teams do what they do. Can you name one or two things that you have directly stolen, appropriated, borrowed, whatever words you want to use, and transferred it to one of your other endeavors? Oh, I think one of the things that I wouldn't necessarily say I borrowed it or stole it Working under Cooper and Cooper working with you, I really understand the value of getting the most you can in about 90 minutes to two hours. Like, I understand that approach as a football coach, again, who run it till you run it right was the philosophy. And there would be points in time where we practice two and a half, maybe 245 sometimes. So I know cutting back on time, understanding nutrition understanding hydration at a much better level now and understanding how we don't static stretch. We don't do the things that we used to do when I first started. Just evolving as a coach of athletics, I think learning from other people, I think I've taken a mix of the time management skill, the nutrition skill, the other things that are translatable in terms of being an athlete and then I just think that some of the specific training that people are doing that overlaps with a lot of sports, especially sports played on grass with either a stick, that has been really helpful in terms of development for football players for certain. No doubt. And I want to go back to your other comment about 
now that I'm a parent, what have you been able to learn wearing your parent hat, watching your children be multi-sport athletes? Your daughter played three sports for the duration of her career. Your second child is a dual sport athlete at this point, even though started at three and D's playing three and Gigi will probably play multiple things when she gets to high school. But what have you learned being a parent, watching the experiences they have had, hearing about the experiences they have had that you now can apply as a coach, right? Because we talk about, oh, it, when does your perspective change when I had kids? So what is that like now as you're going through and you got three of them that that have at least been at the high school level? I think when you are a coach, you understand the importance of relationships am amongst your players, but it really doesn't hit home until you actually had kids who eat, sleep, and drink the sport, but eat, sleep, and drink the bus ride and the friendships and the camaraderie. And so I look at the friendships that I built as a player here and my relationships with my teammates. I don't see that through the coach's lens, but I see it when I look at my kids and I, I see how those relationships are so important to them. But I also see the fact that they want to do well. They want to excel and they want to make those around them proud. And I think that's the one thing that I've seen. So one of the things that I have to remember is there are points in time to where the line can be blurred between me being dad and me being coach. And oftentimes I make the, the waters a little murky because I try to do both at the same time. So I can't, I have to be very careful in terms of my supportive speech, even though I want to pump them up. Oftentimes they just need me to listen. And that's hard sometimes because I think when you're a teacher, or you're a coach, you often feel like you're a fixer. And when you're just listening, you're not fixing anything in your mind, but in essence, you really are helping them help guide your students, your kids and anybody else through something that they may need help with. Yeah, it's a dilemma, right? Because in certain sports that they're playing that you have experience in, you have different emotions and feelings attached, I would imagine, than ones that maybe you're not as well versed in. So how do you navigate that as a colleague, as a coach, while still being a parent when dealing with your kids? And Brian Katz, who was a longtime coach at Sac State, told me he purposefully would go to games and sit in the deep corner where I sit at games and people would come over and make comments about how they, what the hell is the coach doing? They don't know. And he would just say, Hey, I think Germano Denise is the best coach in the United States. And ultimately shutting down that conversation, even if he didn't necessarily feel that, but it's this gray space of how do you show up for your kid? And at the same time, teach them the lesson that you want them to have as somebody that's worn the coaching hat. Yeah. I think for me, it's I'm there. And, and I want them to know that I am there to support them, but I'm not there to be a sideshow. I don't particularly talk to them on occasion. I think early on in my career as a dad, one of my kids was pitching one day. And as a former baseball coach, I knew exactly what was going on. And I whistled and I got the attention and I got an earful. And at that point in time, I knew that it was one of those things to where like, your kids are so trained to your voice sometimes that I don't 
try to say anything, even encouraging, sometimes not encouraging, just because I want them to focus on their own coach or their own things. So I try to stay out of the way as much as possible. But sometimes, like I said, when they come home or I'll say something like, hey, this happened, what do you think? Or we're watching video. And I'll say something that might be a little bit off color, not off color, but just off the mark for them. And they don't understand what I'm trying to say, but I know what I'm trying to get to. And it's more so, hey, you did a good job. And sometimes you have to just smile and say, yeah, but you could have done this. And you have to restrain yourself from that extra thing. And maybe you pull one of your coaches aside and say, hey, why don't you tell them instead of having me do it? Absolutely. Tough being a parent sometimes, but we all do the best we can. All right, Pivney. This is a stolen from Tim Ferriss, and he will ask people on his podcast if they have a favorite failure that they have leaned on throughout their life or their coaching journey. Is there something that comes to front of mind where it was a pivotal moment for you to improve or grow or has kept you in what it is we do? Oh, wow. Been many. I think that I really try not to let my emotions get the best of me, specifically with respect to officiating. I know you and I have had some good conversations about controlling the things that you can control. And there were some moments early on in my coaching career to where I let the officiating impact how I coached my kids and I, even how I coached the game. So there are some moments in time back in the day when I would question some officials or do things that really took away from the game itself. And I think that was one of the things that I really had to learn to get over as I became a more experienced coach. And I think that's the one that that sticks out mostly right now. This year was great. We had a successful year and I thought my interactions with the officials were far better than they had been in prior years for sure. Here's one of my favorite questions, and this doesn't have to be sports related. You've got a lot of balls in the air, so you can answer this from whatever lens you feel is most appropriate for you. But it's a growth mindset question. What have you most recently changed your mind on? I used to be here. Now I'm over here, and here's why. You know, when I was sitting on a Zoom call with you a few weeks ago, we're thinking about just accountability. And I think one of the things that have changed my mind in terms of accountability, and that's personal accountability more than anything else. I've always been able to manage my workflow, my coaching, my teaching, all the rest of the stuff. But one of the things that I haven't worked on personally was actually being and holding my own self accountable for doing things that were going to be best for me and for my family. So I would definitely say that, you know, one of the things that I've learned over time is the only thing preventing me from being my best self is me. And those are things that I didn't realize early on in my teaching career, my coaching career, and professionally, because there was a variety of excuses or reasons that prevented me from doing the things that I needed to do or wanted to do. So I think from a personal perspective, as someone who is continuing to try to grow as a leader more than anything else, because the leadership piece will take care of the classroom stuff with the students. It'll take care of the coaching stuff. 
but most first and foremost, like leading my family and doing the things that I need to do, that I have to be the one who is accountable to myself and look myself in the mirror when I do something to let a student down. If I forget a meeting or something like that, hey, I have to be the one who has to show up and say, I'm sorry, I'm accountable for it. And again, there's no reason, there's no excuse. It's just really doing a better job of trying to hold myself to a standard and accountability that's a little bit better personally. Love that. And uh, because we're on that note, you mentioned earlier, our conversations over the years about officials and uh, my usual approach, which is pretty hands-off. Last night, I had a tough time and uh, TB had me before the game. He's like, yo, you gotta let this stuff go. It was like, we hadn't even started yet. And I was like, score table to this, to that. And it was like, four minutes in, I'm like blowing my top. And not even because of missed calls or whatever, but ways in which the game wasn't being controlled from an aggression standpoint, where for the first time in a long time, like I felt like the kids were at risk. And the way in which I resolved it, finally, at the end of the first quarter, instead of worrying about the officials, is I just walked down to the other bench. And I was like, yo, man, look, this is what happened. We got to get this under control, because this is about them. And Ultimately, if the refs aren't going to control it, then we need to. And uh, thankfully, the guy on the other end of the bench is a friend of mine and we have respect for one another. But it was like so much more beneficial to do that than to spend five minutes trying to get the officials to worry about that referee the game, get the clock right. It was just like, hey, you know what? We'll take you out of it. Let me go down here and talk to the coach. But it took me. 15 minutes to get my head straight so that I could get to that point. And so I think that accountability piece is really important. I want to share some of the things that we often talk about just in general. And one of the conversations we were having at lunch the other day was about how you can hack a sport, for lack of a better word, play a particular style that eliminates a lot of the additional time that you need to spend. So you and I have joked about, look, and I'm not big on scouting because if they're doing what they want, we're not doing a good job of pressing and trapping and taking them out of what they want. And I asked you what the football equivalent is or right, the baseball equivalent or things you've seen in other sports that you can offer as ways that you could steal time back as an adult for your kids and still have the same outcomes and results by being more efficient. Yep. No, I thought about what you said about that just the other day, and I was thinking one of the things that's important in football is to have a core group or set of plays that you can run, but I think the very effective and good coaches will get the most out of running the same play and making it look different. So all the window dressing that you can do is really important in the sense that your kids are all running the same place. So if you run a concept like stick in football, you are working with a certain collection of routes and those routes can be run out of a three by one set that's either tight, bunched, you can use motion. So inevitably your kids are running the same plays over and over again, but your opponent is thinking that they're a different set of plays. So doing that in terms of hacking it is really figuring out what core group of plays that your team runs best and finding the most creative ways of running them. And football also understanding how you can minimize the special team game in certain respects that I've spoken to coaches who say, look, we don't cover kickoffs very well. 
so we squib or kick out of bounds so we don't have to cover them so we don't have to spend a ton of time in practice doing that so the flip side of that is we ran a bunch of swinging gate plays on offense this year and again those are things that sometimes that when you show something funny like that coaches have to spend an inordinate amount of time working on it so you can use that to your advantage as well we thought it gave us an advantage i never looked at it from hey so-and-so is going to see this on film and have to spend an extra 20 minutes trying to defend these two plays but in essence it works that way and you find out what your kids do best and you just you go from there it's funny that you mentioned that because i remember us having conversations during the year that was like we're going to run this from the middle of the field. And I kept waiting for it, kept waiting for it. It never happened. But what the way in which you framed it was very much what we were talking about, which is how do you still practice time for yourselves, but from other people? And it's like, ultimately, if they have to spend all their time preparing for you, then you don't have to spend as much time worrying about them and you can just focus on yourself. And I think that's something that like, Every coach has to be true to their identity and lean into that in whatever way that is for them. And we evolve over time, but there's an authenticity to this is what I believe in and we're going to die on this hill. And when that's not what you believe anymore, either you pivot or it's time to move on. And I think yeah. that the way you frame that's really good. It's like, how do you still practice time from other people, even though that wasn't your intention, but it, it truly adds to that mix. And I really like that. All right. Wrap up thoughts. If. You could give a pitch as a parent more than anything. You've had, you have four kids, three of them have played high school athletics. What are the things that are most important to you as a parent in the lives of your children that they receive from their coaches? Right? Like you could craft it. Like these are the things I care about. All this other stuff is just noise. I think they need to know that the coaches care. And so, we all have our own way of showing it, but I think if you are authentic in who you are and it's genuine that you do care, that kids appreciate it. I think they also need to be seen, which is huge, and coaches need to understand that a small comment can go a long way sometimes, so be extremely careful with sarcastic comments or anything of the sort simply because you never know if a kid's having a bad day. You never know how that comment resonates with them. So I would say, hey, they need to know that you care. They need to know that they feel seen and appreciated. And then they also need to know that you, and when I say care, they need to make sure that the coaches care about them, not care about winning, losing, competing, and care about their jobs. I have said at points in my time that I care about this more than you and kids don't necessarily need to hear that they need to understand that you are doing your job as a coach is to care about that and doing the things that keep them safe but they really need to make sure the coaches can see them and they build the camaraderie and do the things that are really important for the kids to have a good time while also developing playing and having the most fun that they can have yeah and i'll just wrap up on that because i think the way you frame that things that you say you got three kids or you have four kids again but three in the house that have been through the high school that receive feedback very differently and one coach could talk to them like no joke replay the video 
and they're all going to receive it differently. Same like in my household where, you know, one's going to come back and try to fight you and prove you wrong. And one's just going to be like, you know what? You're dead to me. So it's like, how do you learn your kids from the stake? Not your children, but your athletes from the sake of this is how this kid receives information. How can I meet them where they are versus everybody's got to be in lockstep in this like reproducible, like storm to- trooper type human beings. That's for sure. I just remember somebody asked Jimmy Johnson a question about consistency and he was like, I am very consistent. I treat everyone differently. And so I, I thought about that at one point in time. It was like, I can't treat a second string defensive back the same way I treat my starting running back in terms of accountability. They're just different and they're different people. So you have to understand what value people bring to the team. And I think if they're seen, they're heard, and you appreciate and understand it, then everybody has a role. And I think that's really important. And working with this group of freshman football players this year, I saw that there are kids who were vital and important to the team, even though they didn't play a ton. Every kid brings something to the table that's important. And it's our job to try to appreciate and understand it and really get the most out of them. And still working with that. By no means do I feel like I'm an expert. But it really gives me a little bit more understanding to really go out of my way to make sure kids are being taken care of. No, absolutely. I think that's a great way to to frame that. I treat everybody differently. I'm consistent. consistent. (laughs) Love it. All right. I'm going to let you get back to the rest of your life. Thanks for being on. Appreciate you. Probably see you in the next couple hours. (laughs) I appreciate it. You made me think of some really important things that I need to make sure I get rolling on for my own personal and professional growth. So I appreciate the time you spent and the questions you asked. All right. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you gotta keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With eight delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.